Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, Season 1, Episode number 19, The Gothic War. Last time we looked at our story, we were talking about the Goths' actions in the days and months after the Battle of Adrianople. This week, we are going to work through the latter part of the Gothic War to the final treaty between Rome and the Goths in 382 CE. We left our Goths plundering in the lands west of Constantinople looking for more scavenging grounds and the Romans trying to decide how to handle the developments of the Gothic War in the aftermath of the death of Valens. The Goths had slaughtered two-thirds of the Roman army at Adrianople and killed the Eastern Emperor. The Western Emperor, Gratian, decided to remove his troops from the East, not engaging the Goths, and to return to secure his borders of the Western Empire. In the immediate aftermath of the battle, Gratian appoints a 33-year-old man named Theodosius as Comus in Moesia. By taking over for military responsibility in Moesia, Theodosius would be responsible for handling the response to the Goths and the Danubian border region. Which, a quick note about the Danube border. It is reported that the river is essentially undefended at this time of turmoil in the Eastern Empire. Therefore... The worry is that new barbarians would flood into the empire. We do not know how many, but we do know that many barbarians did come into the empire, but no large groups like Fritigerns had made that journey thus far. Certainly more Turingai Goth are coming over looking for opportunities for safety and security south of the turbulent lands of Guthundia, spurred on by the Huns. Theodosius was the son of Theodosius the Elder, who was a successful military commander for modern-day Spain. The Elder Theodosius held the position of Magister Militum, which is the highest-ranking military position in the empire. He was executed in Carthage just after putting down a rebellion by a man named Firmus in the Roman province of Africa. He apparently was caught up in some political intrigues in the wake of the sudden death of Valentinian I. His son then resigned from his position, which was Comus in Moesia, and then retired to his hometown in modern-day Spain. Just three short years later, Gratian picks the young Theodosius after the Battle of Adrianople to take his old position again as Comus in Moesia. This pick makes sense in that he has experience there, but on January 19, 379 CE, Theodosius is appointed Eastern Emperor. Somehow, he had shown the things needed to convince Gratian to elevate him to the purple. It is actually an interesting story of how he became Eastern Emperor in just a few short months after coming back to the region as a general. It could involve being appointed, or it could be a coup that essentially proved Gratian impotent, but to go down that hole would be a digression. I do not want to belabor Theodosius' backstory because it has been done so many times before in other podcasts that are focused on the Romans, and we are focused on the barbarians. So I think that we should probably move on, and the information we have thus far is sufficient. So back to our story. Theodosius needs to fight the Goths and regain control of the Balkans from these invaders. He positions himself at Thessalonica in Greece, where he has access to the roads that control the Balkans and the city, also has a port that enables him to be resupplied from other parts of the empire. Now that he has a base of operations, he needs to build an army since the eastern armies 
16 units were completely wiped out at Adrianople. Remnants were running around, but they did not constitute a fighting force worthy of battle. He then raises several units from the local population, which some of the sources mention as farmers, and he also recruited troops and hired mercenaries from north of the Danube. So yes, he got Goths into his army to fight Goths right after Goths had defeated the army just a couple of months before. But both these sets of troops seemed to be unreliable and ineffectual. He would even send for troops from Egypt and far-flung regions of the Eastern Empire to help build a new army during his first year of his reign. The situation gets worse at this time. Theodosius becomes gravely ill and spends many months of 379 in his bed trying to recover as his armies are fighting the Goths. They are pushing to clear the Goths out of Thrace and control the roads that lead to the south, which is where his base is in Thessalonica, and east to the capital. Constantinople. It is during this time that a man named Moderus comes onto the scene. Moderus is a Goth, probably a Turingi from Athenarik's thread, and is a general fighting for the empire. Sometime during 379, he defeats the Goths and is given a celebration for his great achievement. Now, there is no good record of this battle that he won, and certainly the war goes on for another three years, so it could not have been that important of a victory but it is certainly a good thing to be able to seem like you are doing something if you are a new emperor facing these Goths and everyone is scared to death of them. So we might as well celebrate a small victory and make everyone feel good like it was a big victory. It was a propaganda coup for Theodosius and the Romans to celebrate a Goth's victory over the Goths, even if it was of a questionable distinction. All right, so... That's a good foundation for Theodosius and his efforts to end the war. Back to the Goths. Our Goths were moving west, away from Constantinople. They are still searching for food and supplies as they are forced to constantly move to feed their numbers. The Goths split up once again into smaller bands or groups to scavenge the countryside. They stay within a reasonable distance from each other in that they can loot and plunder independently, but this enables them to consolidate into a formidable force when threatened. Through 379, Theodosius is facing the Goths, but is sick in bed in Thessalonica. The Roman emperor's forces are at times able to defeat the Goths, but never decisively, and nothing in a, a definitively large battle. Through 379, the Goths are plundering and attacking all through Thrace, driving west, but are never met in a large-scale battle. They achieve victories as far west as Serdica and Naesis, which are modern-day Sofia, Bulgaria, and Nice, Serbia, near the Danube in the north, but are not able to take any large cities as to a lack of expertise and machinery, as we've discussed countless times before in this podcast. They are trying also to find a solution to this war. They cannot loot and plunder indefinitely in the Roman Empire. They want to reach a settlement and settle down somewhere in the lands of the Romans. It is during the year 380 CE that we will see events within the ranks of the Goths that will have a real outcome on the war and its eventual conclusion. It is during the summer 380 that the Grithungi troops, led by Alatheus and Saphrax, split off from Fritigern and his people permanently. Fritigern heads south towards Thessalonica, and the Grithungi head north and west into Pannonia. It should also be noted that there were Alans and Huns still in this group of troops. 
They attacked into Pannonia within the boundary of the Western Emperor Gratian's jurisdiction, who he was still dealing with threats to his realm around the Rhine River region. He apparently signed a treaty quickly and settled the group of this group of fighters within Pannonia. Now, the terms of the settlement with the Gruthungi are lost, but we can assume that they were not as generous as future treaties. The troops are supposedly settled in Pannonia and Illyricia and are spread out along the Save River, or the modern Sava River, which flows through Slovenia, Croatia, and makes up the northern border of Bosnia-Herzegovina. The agreement apparently allowed these people to settle as an entity and give something like a federati status to them. Again, we cannot be certain of the details, but we do know that it was just the Gruthungi Alan and Hunnish portion of the troops, which constituted a smaller percentage of the total rebelling forces associated with Fridigern. For his part, he will move to make a statement for his people now that he has lost his vaunted cavalry. Fridigern moves his people south and to the east back into Thrace and into Greece. He is eager to force a political settlement and wants to meet his new emperor in battle. He will have this opportunity in the summer of 380 CE. Fritigern will meet Theodosius outside Thessalonica in a pitch battle. We have the constituted, the reconstituted Imperial Army, freshly built and trained in the last year and a half by Theodosius. The Goths are a group of warriors that have been hardened by years of fighting and plundering within the Roman Empire, who have filled their ranks with many, many Goths that had been fighting for the Romans previously. So Fritigern's force should have been in its top shape. It is stated that at the beginning of the battle, the Goths fighting for the Romans switched sides and joined the Turvingi, and many of the other troops, those farmers we mentioned earlier, deserted and ran off from the battlefield. Fritigern and his troops were able to swiftly defeat the remaining Romans. This is said to have been a significant defeat, but not an absolute one like Adrianople. The Goths were not able to kill the emperor. They were not able to kill two-thirds of the Roman army again, but this victory is important. The Goths defeat this new army and extend the war even longer and are able to plunder the Greek countryside. They are once again unable to take a city because of the lack of siege machinery and therefore have to move past Thessalonica. Theodosius, for his part, retreats from the battlefield and flees to Constantinople. We know this because he enters the imperial capital for the first time in his reign with a triumph in November of 380. The fact that the Goths just defeated him in battle, he knew that he must show the people that he's doing something and having success when dealing with the Goths. He, like all politicians, know that appearances matter. It appears that he's celebrating the Goths' failure to take Thessalonica despite the defeat in the battle outside the city. Again, this is a propaganda that uh, must move some for some percentage of the population uh, and his political enemies uh, in order for him to utilize this small thread of thinking here. The Goths then begin the year in 381, plundering northern Greece, Macedonia, and into Thrace once again. Gratian 
reportedly sent two generals, Balto and Arbogast, with some Western Empire soldiers to challenge the Goths. It could be assumed that the Goths were trying to push into the Western Empire's territory somewhere in Illyricia, modern-day Greater Serbia. Balto and Arbogast, who were both Franks and therefore fellow barbarians, were high-ranking military officers. We do think that Ricomirus, another Frank who was with Valens at Adrianople as an advisor from the Western Empire, was the uncle of Arbogast. And we do think that Balto and Arbogast were related to each other as well. Balto, though, was the Magister Militum for the Western Empire, meaning he was the commander of the armies, the highest-ranking military officer. Arbogast would later hold this same position. Clearly, men of this importance would have been escorted by significant forces. They are effective in trying to block the Goths from entering deeper into the Western Empire, and therefore Fritigern must lead his people back east towards Thrace and Lower Moesia, once again where the rebellion started in 376. During this year, 381, we have another interesting development. While Balto, Arbogast, and the Western Empire soldiers are blocking the Goths in Elysia, we have Athanar come back on the scene for his swan song. A quick reminder on our friend here. He was the longtime Tervingai Reek who also defeated Fritigern, at least politically, but maybe militarily, in a civil war for primary control of the Tervingai north of the Danube in the early 370s. Also, he had battled Valens back in the 367 to 369 Gothic Wars. And you may remember the famous scene of Valens and Athanaric finalizing a treaty on a boat in the middle of the Danube River in 369 CE at the end of hostilities of that war. I'll post that image again on the Facebook and Twitter accounts just to refresh your memory. If you remember, Valens would not go into Gothic territory again, and Athanaric had supposedly promised his father that he would never step onto Roman grounds, and in his effort to fulfill said promise to his father, he ended up on a boat in the middle of the river. Well, that promise would now be broken in the year 381. Sometime before this year, probably in 380, Athanaric is deposed as the most powerful reek of the Trevingi and lost his power altogether. The sources claim that he was the victim of political intrigue and power struggles that could have very well involved Fritigern. He is then welcomed to Constantinople by Theodosius and given a hero's triumph in the city, and quite a big show is made of the hospitality that Athanaric receives. We can infer from the story that the old Turvengai Reek, who probably was deposed by Fritigern, and therefore a refugee, was used by Theodosius to send a message to the Goths under Fritigern. Athanaric was treated well, and therefore one could believe that the rest of the Goths would be treated well, and the war could be over. Again, the war had been going on for five years at this point. Neither side could technically win, but both were not happy with the current state of affairs. Theodosius had been defeated militarily the year prior, and he's beginning to give up on a solution with his armies, and try for one that can only be found with treaties. Athanar gets over the fact that he apparently broke a lifelong promise to his father and seems to enjoy his time in the imperial capital. It is said that he was dying upon his arrival and through his journey to the capital, and he does indeed die several weeks after his triumphal entrance of natural causes, we're told. So here we are at the end of 381 CE. We have a long, drawn-out war with no end in sight, and all the key players are tired of the blood and despair. 
Theodosius is facing increased pressure to bring a resolution to the war that he has been stating since his coronation three years prior that he is winning. And we have a little propaganda play with an old Gothic leader from the Tervingai heartland. So, all through the year 382, negotiations are taking place. Goths are continuing to plunder. Romans are continuing to try to shield and not engage directly. And on October 3rd, 382 CE, a treaty is agreed upon between the Goths and the Romans. Finally, bringing an end to the long and bloody Gothic War that began back in 376. The terms of the treaty gave the Goths land in northern Dacia and Thracia between the Danube and Balkan Mountains. On this land, they were not split up and spread out throughout the empire, as was the common practice in previous settlements. They did not technically own the land, so they did not have to pay taxes to the Romans, but this also means that they are not citizens of Rome. Essentially, they can run their own affairs and be ruled by their own leaders under their own laws. The Goths would not be citizens and therefore could not take part in Roman government or even marry other, other Romans. The empire would pay them an annual service payment, which the Goths would need to, in exchange for that, fight for the Romans as they were called upon, and they would be called upon shortly. The agreement is not everything that Fritigern had wanted back in 376, but it was a decent compromise that would slant in the Goths' favor. The fact that they didn't own the land makes this situation tenuous, though. The Roman Empire was very strong for a very long time because of its ability to assimilate people. You can look at countless examples of barbarians or outsiders that came into the empire and fit into the culture, political system, and other aspects of the Roman Empire. This treaty does not do any of those things, and the Goths would be outsiders and will be viewed as others within the empire because of the settlement. To be fair, though, the Goths wanted things to be this way. They did not want to be broken up. They did not want to assimilate into the empire. We'll find out soon, though, just how much they would be considered others in our next episodes. But at least for now, the fighting would stop. Another interesting part of the story is that we have no records of Fritigern at this time. The person who leads the Goths through this perilous time period in his people's history is nowhere to be seen. It is suspected that as a part of the agreement with Romans, that the Goths would have to eliminate the leaders from Adrianople and the war in general as a part of the peace. If true, this would make political sense for the Goths and the Romans. After six brutal years of war, both sides would be tired of the status quo and would have to seek an opportunity for peace and disassociating with the military leaders of this war as they enter a peacetime seems like a good start. So that is it. The Gothic War that involves the epic battle of Adrianople does not end with the fall of the Roman Empire or the capture of any major cities or any other major events other than the aftermath of the aforementioned battle. The Goths and the Romans essentially just tired of fighting each other and finally found a way to end the war and work towards some sort of peace. The war starts with a treaty involving refugees and new immigrants who were then betrayed, neglected, abused, manipulated, mismanagement of the situation, and intrigue involving assassinations and murders at banquets, Game of Thrones style, leading to a rebellion that brought in the resources of Thrace into a small concentrated area south of the Danube, 
which then was mismanaged locally, leading to another large swath of destruction by the rebel forces, requiring the full weight of the empire's resources, culminating in the defeat of the army and the death of an emperor at Adrianople on a hot August day in 378. Then the Goths just roamed around several provinces of the Roman Empire for four years, unable to be beaten and unable to definitively beat their foes, which leads to this anticlimactic settlement in October of 382. That is where we will stop this week. Next time, we will look at the status of the various groups of Goths in our story in the 380s and the early 390s. So materials that were used for the episode this week were The Goths by Peter Heather, The Fall of Rome by Peter Heather, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd Century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, Zosimus, Nova Historia, and if anyone has any other recommendations for source material, shoot me your suggestions on the Facebook page or on the Twitter account. This is a pretty obscure history podcast topic, so any knowledge of other sources are much welcomed. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to follow along on our journey. Please leave a review on the podcast platform of your preference. Good reviews really do help others find the podcast. Check out the History of the Barbarians Facebook page and Twitter accounts for some information, including maps and images of the characters that we are talking about both this week and overall. And I'd like to thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.